Good morning. If I haven't met you yet, my name is John Cavell. I have the privilege of serving as one of the pastors here. And uh, we are continuing uh, the series, actually ending this series, The Finite God. This is a rock, and this is a diaper. In case you couldn't tell what they are from where you're sitting, that's what those things are. In the first service, they applauded me for sharing that. I have no idea why. No, I'm not... No, I didn't understand why they would applaud, but apparently when it comes to me and my understanding of things, the bar is way low, <laughs> which is probably fair. So as I said, we're finishing out the series on this idea of a finite God. And what we're talking about when we say finite God is not that that is what God is, but that's often how we perceive him. That often we act as though, or we perceive God, or we view God as though he's far more limited than he really is. When the odds are against us, when we're discouraged, when we are uncertain, often we wonder where God is. We feel like if I can't control things, if I'm not in control, well, then it sure doesn't feel like God's in control. And is he powerful? Or is he powerless? Is he interested in helping me? Is he concerned? Or does he just have other things to think about? Does he have bigger fish to fry? Is he a finite God? Or is he not? Is he infinite? And so the story that we're at today is a story of David and Goliath. Now, it's a story that probably has some familiarity to you, even if you don't ever go to church, or you never read the Bible, or you've never really been into such things, because it's just a familiar phrase. In fact, it's possible that, like me, this whole thing may be unfamiliar to you. I didn't grow up with this kind of stuff. Uh, I didn't really even understand that Christmas and Easter were about Jesus till I was an adult. And I remember coming into a room like this with friends, and I'd be looking at people like y'all, and I'd think, they're not like me. And if they really knew what I was like, they wouldn't want me sitting in their church. Now, I'm curious, like me, how many of you have ever been in that situation where this was all new, you sat down, you looked around, you're like, I do not fit here. Has anybody ever had that? Okay, cool. Because if that's how you're feeling today, you are not alone. You're not weird. There's plenty of us here who know exactly what you're experiencing. So really, you, just, you fit just fine. You fit in just fine. So today, like I said, we're going to be looking at a familiar story of, of David and Goliath. We're going to be in the book of 1 Samuel in chapter 17. And uh, I'm going to start it off. 1 Samuel 17, starting at verse 1, says this, The Philistines gathered their forces for war at Sukkah in Judah and camped between Sukkah and Azekah in Ephesdemim. King Saul and the men of Israel gathered and camped in the valley of Elah. Then they lined up in battle formation to face the Philistines. So the Philistines were standing on one hill, and the Israelites were standing on another hill with a ravine between them. And then a champion of the Philistines named Goliath from Gath came out from the Philistine camp. He was nine feet nine inches tall and wore a bronze helmet and a bronze scale armor that weighed 125 pounds. Now, this was not an unusual practice. 
because often these battles would result in the loss of life in the thousands, sometimes tens of thousands. And so one commander and another commander may agree to say, all right, we send one guy each, they fight to the death, and winner takes all. And that's what was happening here. Now, it's quite possible that this phrase, this number, nine feet, nine inches tall, was really more like a colloquialism in Hebrew that basically means really, really tall. You know, that's not the literal translation, but it's kind of like when you say, oh my gosh, I met this guy, he was so tall, he must have been seven feet tall. Well, from my perspective, anyone over six feet tall looks like seven feet tall. It all kind of looks the same, you know. But it's likely, from other things that we can guess, that he was probably more like six nine. He was big. And he might have just been a really big person, like a Shaquille O'Neal. But in that time and in that region, that's pretty unlikely. What is actually more likely is that he had a condition called acromegaly. And this is what happens when, in men especially, the pituitary gland continues to excrete a growth hormone even into adulthood. Now, how many of you have ever heard of Andre the Giant? How many remember some older James Bond films where there was a character named Jaws? Big, huge, ugly guy. Yeah, sorry, I mean, not not attractive to me. <laughs> now we're going to go back a little further. How many remember watching The Addams Family and there was a character named Lurch? Okay, yeah. All those actors, or Andre the Giant, the man who played Jaws, and the man who played Lurch, all suffered from this condition called acromegaly. And if you remember, they had very pronounced features, somewhat disproportionate, really big, and that's possible it's possible that that's what Goliath had. So, picking it up in verse 6. There was bronze armor on his shins, and a bronze sword was slung between his shoulders. His spear shaft was like a weaver's beam, and the iron point of his spear weighed 15 pounds. Big. In addition, a shield bearer, or an armor bearer, was walking in front of him. And so he stood and shouted to the Israelites battle formations. Why do you come out to line up in battle formation? He said, am I not a Philistine and are you not servants of King Saul? Which they were. So choose one of your men and have him come down against me. If he wins in a fight against me and kills me, we will be your servants. But if I win against him and kill him, then you will be our servants and serve us. There is no lack of confidence on the part of Goliath. And then the Philistines said, I defy the ranks of Israel today. Send me a man so we can fight each other. That's verse 10 and verse 11. And when Saul and all Israel heard these words from the Philistine, they lost their courage and were terrified. I'm going to say something in a minute, and what I want to do is this half of the room, we're going to practice, this half of the room, when I point to you, you're going to say the word certainly. So we're going to practice. You ready? Okay, five of you are ready. <laughs> this is the second survey. You're supposed to be kind of awake. Okay, ready? Certainly. Not bad. Not bad. Now, I'm going to do the same thing over here, this half of the room. When I point to you, you're going to say the word uncertain. Ready? No, I asked if you were ready. <laughs> are you ready <laughs> and anxious? You are quivering in anticipation. All right, here we go. 
Okay. See, the problem was Saul and his armor, army were they were certainly uncertain. We're going to do it again. They, Saul and his army were in the face of Goliath. They were certainly uncertain. And you can imagine that many of them were wondering, is God going to show up here? Is God going to do his thing? Is he going to protect us? Are we going to win? Because right now we don't have anybody who we trust to go down there and be Goliath. So in verse 16, every morning and evening for 40 days, 40 days, that's a month and 10 days, the Philistine came forward and took his stand. So David arrives at the perimeter of the camp in verse 20 as the army was marching out to its battle formation, shouting their battle cry. In verse 23, while David was speaking with them, suddenly the champion named Goliath the Philistine from Gath came forward from the Philistine battle line and shouted his usual words, which David heard. When all the Israelite men saw Goliath, they retreated from him, terrified. Verse 26, David spoke to the men who were standing with him. Wait a minute. Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? That was an insult. Calling them an uncircumcised Philistine. That was an insult, so just so you know. Not a commentary, just an insult. Well, who's, so he's basically saying, who's going to go fight this guy? Why hasn't someone gone already? And everybody's standing around going, well, you know, I'd take him, but, you know, my back kind of hurts and not really feeling well and didn't get a good night's sleep. And, you know, the guy's, oh, yeah, I totally kicked that guy out. No, but I'm not going to do it today. And then King Saul heard that David was in the camp and was asking why no one was going out to fight Goliath. You see, David worked part-time for his father, but he also kind of worked part-time for King Saul. And he had been serving as Saul's armor bearer. And so Saul knew of some of David's abilities. But he also knew that David had a spiritual calling and anointing on his life. He's seen God's blessing on David. And he believes that God will protect his life. So this could be his answer. In verse 32, so Saul had David brought to him. And David said to Saul, don't let anyone be discouraged by Goliath. Your servant, meaning himself, your servant will go and fight this Philistine. And Saul says, now wait a minute. You can't go fight this Philistine. You're just a youth. And he's been a warrior since he was young. But you see, what Saul doesn't realize is that God likes it when the odds are against us. He likes it when we're faced with challenges that, that make us say things like, I don't know if I can handle this. I've had it. I just want to give up and go. This is more than I can take. This, this is more than one person should have to deal with. So in verse 34, David answered Saul, Your servant, meaning himself, your servant has been tending his father's sheep. Whenever a lion or a bear came and carried off a lamb from the flock, I went after it. I struck it down and I rescued the lamb from its mouth. If it reared up against me, I would grab it by its fur, meaning the fur on its face, and strike it down and kill it. Your servant has killed lions and bears, and this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, for he has defied the armies of the living God. You see, to David, God is not a finite God. God is an infinite God. To Saul and everybody else, God is finite. God can't handle this. 
But Saul knows that God had plans for David. And, God, and Saul knew that God was going to make sure that David lived. So Saul says to David, go and may the Lord be with you. Now that isn't a flippant statement. You see, Saul, in sending David, is putting his own life and the lives of his soldiers and the life of his nation on the line. He realizes that David is his only hope. So verse 40, David took his staff in his hand and chose five smooth stones from the wadi, meaning a dry creek bed, and he put them in his shepherd's bag, and then with his sling in his hand, he approached the Philistine. Now, often that this story, especially this part, is portrayed as a miracle in cartoons or other things. It basically is David's got, you know, a handful of five rocks that he can carry in one hand, puts them in his pouch, and then as he approaches Goliath, he pulls them out, puts them in a slingshot, and it does this. Shoots it, and it hits Goliath. And then miraculously, Goliath falls down dead. Not what happened. This isn't a story where a miracle like this took place, where somehow God you know, went against the natural order of things and caused something to happen that couldn't otherwise happen. You see, the idea of the sling and the stone was actually a military weapon. Warriors from the tribe of Benjamin were known to have a lethal skill where they would take a rock like about this big and they would put it in a sling and that they could rev it up and they could launch a stone from their sling upwards of 70 to 90 miles per hour. In fact, in northern Assyria, archaeologists have uncovered what they think are iron sling stones about the size of a baseball that they would do, and often when an army was invading, especially if there was a castle or a hill, these soldiers would come out, and they would just start pegging people. And so imagine, no matter how big you are, a rock like this coming at you at 70 miles an hour. This is what David is doing. And so they they would figure out, they would do some quick calculations and figure about between here and some safe distance to my target, how many of these do I think I can launch? So David figured five. In verse 41, the Philistine came closer and closer to David with a shield bearer in front of him. And when the Philistine looked and saw David, he despised him because he was just a youth. And he said to David, am I a dog that you come against me with sticks? Because David's holding his staff, but he has no armor on. Goliath is covered with armor. He's got a spear. He's got a sword. He's got an armor bearer in front of him whose basic job was to be the first one struck by a a spear or a javelin before the person he protected. Come here, the Philistine says in verse 44, and I'll give your flesh to the birds of the sky and the wild beasts. David, though, said to the Philistine, you come against me with a dagger, a spear, and a sword, but I come against you in the name of Yahweh of hosts, the God of Israel's armies. You have defied him. And today, the Lord will hand you over to me, and then all the world will know that Israel has a God. 
And this whole assembly will know that it is not by sword or by spear that the Lord says, for the battle is the Lord's. He will hand you over to us. You see, Goliath was expecting a close contact fight. He was expecting somebody to come down with a spear, with a sword, and with armor, and go toe-to-toe. He wasn't expecting some guy without armor, without a sword, without a spear, launching stones at him. So it says in verse 48, When the Philistines started forward to attack David... He ran quickly to the battle line to meet the Philistines. So David is running, he's pulling stones, and he's launching them with a sling. So in verse 49, he put his hand in the bag, took out a stone, and he slung it, and it hit the Philistine on his forehead. And the stone sank into his forehead, and he fell on his face to the ground. The stone didn't kill him, but it stunned him enough that he fell to the ground. And with all of the armor that he's got on, he can't do anything very quickly at this point. So in verse 51, David ran and stood over him. He grabbed the Philistine's sword, pulled it from its sheath, and used it to kill him. Now he's dead. And then he cut off his head. And when the Philistines saw that their hero was dead, they ran. So there was no miracle other than that the odds were against David. The odds were against Israel's army. But David had a skill that God had given him, and he used it, and he prevailed. So four things to remember that I want you to take away with you today. The first is this, and I've said it a couple times already. Remember that God likes it when the odds are against us. We don't. We do not like it when the odds are against us. If you wake up in the morning and you say, I really hope God leads me into a situation where the odds are against me, where I'm intimidated, where I'm fearful, where I'm nervous, and I really don't know if God's going to get me through it. I really hope that happens today. What a blessing that would be. If you do... You're kind of weird. I mean, I respect you for that, but you're weird, really. I mean, it's, sorry. You see, David was a normal person. He had great faith in God, but he also had great failures. He's not unlike most of us. Strengths, but some weaknesses. There was nothing supernatural about him other than this faith in God. So what's your Goliath? What's that thing in your life right now that's facing you down, that's making you wonder if God is there, that's making you ask those why questions? In the last two weeks, I've walked alongside of people who are dealing with a loved one taking their own life, dealing with all the emotions the fears, the feelings of, how did I not know? What do I do now? How could something like this happen? Why does God allow something like this to happen? Some big Goliaths. But maybe you've got a Goliath in your life. 
Maybe there's a weakness that plagues you. Maybe it's an addiction that you wonder if it's always going to rule your life. Maybe your Goliath is wanting to help somebody whom you love, but they just won't let you help them. Maybe there's a fear in your life, and then that's your Goliath. I could go on and on and on, but if you're dealing with a Goliath, if you can think of one, if there's one you're facing down, you're normal. There's nothing wrong with you. But remember that God likes it when the odds are against us because it's when the odds are against us that we have the opportunity to say, all right, God, I don't see any solution at all. I need you to be my solution here. I need you to lead me toward whatever that solution is because I don't see it and I don't have it in my hand. Your Goliath wants to convince you that your God is powerless and that you are hopeless. It's a lie. But there's times, there's moments, there's days, there's weeks when it can sound very, very believable. It's not true. You would never tell somebody that else to believe that. But there are days when it's hard not to believe it about yourself. So remember that God likes it when the odds are against us. Second thing is this. Remember that it's not Goliath versus you. It's Goliath versus God. You know, it's interesting in 1 John chapter 5, it says, whoever is born of God overcomes the world because Christ has overcome the world. And who is the one who has overcome is the one that is born of God. See, Christ has overcome the world, and those who have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ who have said yes to his love and forgiveness, who have said yes to his grace and mercy, overcome because of him. And somebody said, well, how does that work? Well, here's how it works. Let's say you're on an NBA championship team. You're going to the NBA finals, but you're the worst player on the team. I mean, you're, you're still really good because you're in the NBA, but you're the worst player on the team. And so you don't actually end up playing in any of the games in the series. But you're on the team, and the team wins. You get the ring, right? You get the NBA championship ring, even though you may have contributed absolutely nothing to the win, but because you're on the team, you get the ring. But when it says that Christ has overcome the world and we overcome because of him, that's the way it works. He's done all the work, but we get the ring because we belong to him. We get the ring. That's what that means. That's how that works. So remember that it's not Goliath versus you. It's Goliath versus God. The next thing is this. Remember the lion and the bear. When Saul was asking David, how are you going to do this? How are you going to pull this off? David said, Verse 37, the Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. 
this Goliath that you're facing right now, think back to a time when maybe you were in another situation, in another time, and you didn't know how you were going to get through that, but God got you through it. Remember the lion and the bear. David could think back and say, you know what? God enabled me to deal with the lion. God enabled me to deal with the bear. God will enable me to deal with this Philistine. He wasn't giving himself credit. He goes, hey, man, I could take a lion. I could take a bear. I could take him. No, he said, hey, God allowed me to do that. He'll allow me to do this. He empowered me then. He'll empower me now. And here's the last thing. And that's where this comes in. Remember that Goliath once wore diapers. Goliath is this big old mean, ugly dude. He's as mean as he is ugly. He's as strong as he is mean. And he's big. And he intends to win. He's always won before. The reason he's still alive is because he always wins. But David, Goliath wasn't always a big, huge, ugly warrior. There was a time when he was just an ugly little baby. <laughs> and when he was wearing one of these, nobody was afraid of him. Nobody was worried about him. Somebody had complete control over him, as much as you can have over a child. And so it might be that there's a little baby Goliath in your life. Right now, it's like a little baby. It's pretty manageable. It's not getting in the way. You got it totally under control. It's not a good thing, but it's not that big deal. I got it. I got to handle. Not a big deal. Not a problem. I can handle it. That's what you're hearing yourself say. Except this little baby Goliath is growing. And as it grows, you become more and more accustomed to it. You become more and more used to being in control of it. Those of you who are parents know that there was a day when you had total control over your child, when it was a baby, but then it grew. And it developed a will of its own. And then there was a day when you felt absolutely out of control of that child. Some of you who have never had children remember being that child. <laughs> See, if we allow those little Goliaths to grow, soon they'll be in control. So remember that Goliath once wore diapers, and there might be a diaper Goliath in your life right now. Feels like it's all under control, everything's cool. But I know from experience, no, it's not. It wants you to think there's not a problem. It's totally in control. It's not true. It's not under control. Remember that God likes it when the odds are against us. Remember that it's not Goliath versus you, but Goliath versus God. Remember the lion and the bear. And remember that Goliath once wore diapers, but he didn't always wear diapers. So this week, I want to encourage you. 
think about these things. Remember these things. And know that this church is here to help you in any way we can. To connect you with people and resources who can come alongside you, whatever your situation. That's why we're here. We care. I care. If you feel like, I don't know where to go from here, let us help you. Fill out a card, contact the church. I'll meet with you. <laughs> I would love to. We'll figure it out together. We'll face down that Goliath together. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, the Goliaths in our lives want to tell us that we are powerless, that we are hopeless, and that you are powerless. They want to tell us that they are in control. They want to convince us that we're nothing. But that's not true. Because God, you say that as your children, that when we place our hope and trust and faith in you, when we say yes to your love and forgiveness through Christ's death on the cross, we become your child. And we are who you say we are. We're not who Goliath says we are. God, you call us your children. You call us loved. And that we can find our strength and our hope in your presence in our lives. And God, I pray that for each one of us here, including myself. In Jesus' name, amen.